This week on Plot Points Podcast, we remember Harlan Ellison. We discuss the trendiness of trends, and the bee is back. Get away from her, you bitch! This is Plot Points Podcast. Talking about the weather. Always starts with the weather. Who cares about the weather? Who gives a shit about the weather? Let's talk speed. Right it's always nice. <laughs> yeah. People just assume Hollywood always has great weather, Mark. I yeah, mean, well, Hollywood. It's not. It's. It makes you laugh every time. I know. Uh, I, I'll uh, I'll try to. I, maybe I'm a frustrated weather person. I don't know. Maybe that's my uh, my issue. But uh, it, in case you didn't hear. That's uh, Mary Claire Anderson, who's rejoining us for uh, this podcast and hopefully for more. Hi, Mary Claire. I'm back. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Always, always. <laughs> and uh, as always, Victor Fan. So how you doing, homeboy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on the show, Mark. Oh, yeah. Well, you're always welcome, too. <laughs> so I've got two very hardworking writers here. Uh, they're very knowledgeable also. So let's get started. Um, I uh, just, I mean... We've spent the last couple podcasts just uh, playing the Alejandro Seri uh, interview, which I highly recommend. I, you know, interviews are interviews, and I'm not a big fan of them either. But Alejandro is an amazing interview subject. He he just knows so much about so much. Um, so those are the last two podcasts, 130A and 130B. So we're back, kind of, with the format that we started with, which is, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the what are we watching? What are we writing? And uh, we also have a new top, two new top, uh, new topic trends we're seeing. So I have a question for Victor regarding that because I think there's an interesting trend happening. In fact, um, I saw an article today on in the Times about this, and so that's kind of what prompted uh, the discussion. But what are we watching, Mary Claire? What do you what do you been watching lately? Well, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about, you know, strong female leads and what that means in Hollywood um, now and, and forever in the future. And so I wanted to watch something that, you know, was interesting and female driven. And so I started to watch uh, Sharp Objects, which is a new series oh, yeah. on HBO. Um, it's adapted from Gillian Flynn's novel um, by Marty Noxon and directed by Jean-Marc Collet, who, Jean-Marc Collet, who did... Um, uh, Big Little Lies, which I really enjoyed. Right. Um, so Amy Adams stars as Camille, who is like an absolute wreck of a person, like functioning alcoholic, a journalist. Um, she's asked to return to her hometown to report on the murders of two teenage girls, and uh, and the setting is in is in Missouri, a small town. And the contract with the audience and the themes are really excellent. Like the story is really about the effects of repression and the denial of real pain and what that can mean when the pain is like not addressed or the truth of it. And so, and it's, it's a fun, I shouldn't say fun. It's an interesting watch. You know, she's a smart person, a smart character. She's strong despite her self-loathing. And it's really interesting to watch her sort of sink deeper and deeper into her history. And so, um, so I'm kind of hooked. So we watched the first episode. The second episode um, is tonight. So I will be back. Oh, cool. All right. Um, sounds interesting. I saw it. I saw it uh, listed, and I was it was something. It's on the list, but I have so much other. You know, I, how do you 
by the way, how do you balance all that stuff? Isn't it, isn't it overwhelming the amount of content we have to watch these days? Absolutely. Every time ever I'm talking to somebody, it's like, oh, you're not watching this live, and you sat down and watched this. And like, <laughs> I watch so much TV. Right. Like, yeah. You don't understand. Like I watch so much TV, so there is really no uh, no balance for it. I don't well, and it's also it's good for us as writers because there's more there's a hundred times more opportunity. Every every company has a production company, and they're they're doing original content like Ozarks and uh, you know Big Little Lies and uh, a better call Saul. That's Netflix, I guess. But uh, yeah. and each one of those uh, shows staffs twelve to fifteen writers too, so uh, a lot of opportunity there. Got and, a lot of work to go around for sure. And none of them is me. <laughs> um, Victor, you watching anything interesting, or besides the World Cup? I know you've been like obsessed with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm like my tastes are a lot less eclectic than MCs. Mm. Uh, I've been watching every Hollywood summer blockbuster this summer in the middle of the season. So yeah, love, loving all of it. You know, Ant Man and Waz, Jurassic World, all of it. Love it all. Cool. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen one of them. I don't think I've seen one summer movie this this year yet. So they've been uh, good. Like I've been really impressed with the summer slate. So right? I'm really happy at all of uh, the films that I've seen. Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely got to get out there. It's just I'm I've been so busy. Uh, it just seems like well anyway. Um, so I've been watching Altered Carbon, which I really enjoy, and um, I, I think it's an very what I like about it is something that I rail against in science fiction uh, on television and in the movies is they don't extrapolate properly. And Altered Carbon does. Uh, in other words, the, the premise is you can you live, you can live eternally as, some, as long as somebody doesn't destroy your chip, whatever that chip is that they use. And so you can, when your body dies, your chip stays alive and your personality and whoever you are stays alive. And you just go into another sleeve, which is just another body. And so they do some really interesting extrapolation, like with that concept, that that conceit or premise, which is uh, I can create, if you're rich enough, you can create clones of yourself. If you like what you look like and you like your body and everything, you can freeze that that body in a certain place and create clones. And so at one point, this woman offers the main character uh, a five-way, and all of them are with her. So... She, he can make love to five different versions of her, uh, which is kind of interesting because that's definitely the kind of excesses that you would see is people making clones of themselves, making love to themselves. Uh, it's very violent, very sexual, very challenging, but it's really well done. So I recommend, I highly recommend it. Um, and the interesting thing is I think it's an anthology as opposed to an ongoing series with the same characters because the, mm -hmm. next, the next season happens in an off-world colony. Um, are we working on it, Mary Claire? You, you especially have been writing lately, which is great. Uh, what, what's changed? Well, I mean, I think for myself, when I write, I tend to isolate. And last year was, I mean, the year of my wedding, uh, and so you know, it's really, it's, a, I mean, a, hopefully, a once in a lifetime type of event, and. I didn't want to isolate, you know, I wanted to be really present and enjoy everything that was going on. And also, you know, sometimes for me, you know, writing can be, you know, a bit selfish because it's just time and time is so valuable. And, uh, and it, it was harder last year, you know, to really justify sitting down for eight hours at a time, which is the length of time that it takes me to write like four pages, <laughs> uh, to, to, you know, to dedicate time to it when there are so many other people involved in that, in the, these types of events as well, whether it's vendors, 
family and there's so many different events. I mean, it just really wanted to be a part of the year rather than taking time away from it. And so, mm-hmm. um, so now that that's like, I mean, it's been, you know, almost six months. And so, um, so now it felt like the right time to sort of step back into a script that I had been working on. Like I just have, I have time and the interest, um, you know, available back again. And so it's been nice to sort of, uh, revisit a lot of what I had been working on. Well, I mean, it's great to see because I'm I'm a big fan of your work. I always have been since the first day you walked into my class. So I'm happy to see that you're back working on something um, and, you know, look forward just to reading more pages. We have a big class this semester, too. So there's a lot of a lot of material coming through, which is which is really great. Um, yeah, a lot of new writers also. Yeah. Uh, most of them who are bringing, yeah, a lot of talent and, and good criticism, constructive, you know, to, to the class and the world. So it's, it's always fun to, to bring sort of new life to it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so, Victor, I know you're in a new job, um, a very prestigious position and company and all that stuff. So you're not really doing much film work. But are you still doing any animation or any, any graphic design or anything like that? Um, all that stuff's on the back burner for now just because, uh, you know, I, I work in live sports now, and literally today we just wrapped the World Cup, and then um, the next two weeks is just prep work, and then I go straight into NFL. So, uh, yeah, probably after this, I'll be able to get, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll be able to get uh, more, more of that creative stuff, but for now, it's, it's, it's go, go, go time, you know? Right. Well, don't forget, there's NFL, there's college football. Uh, there's, you know, next in February, we get a new league opening up and then in 2020, we get the XFL back. So it's going to be football 365, man. That's, yeah. uh, that's what, that's my dream. I can buy it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Do you want to mention the company you're working for? Or would you rather not? Uh, let's not. Okay. For myself, uh, I haven't really done any work on the revolutionary war script, which is killing me because every time I write, I get paid. So, mm-hmm. um, I need to get back to that. But I was working on an interesting project uh, for Final Draft, and I don't want to talk about it on this podcast, but perhaps the next one. Um, It's really fascinating, and it has to do with uh, television series and proposals and things like that. So it's a great opportunity. So I have to to tease it but not tell anybody about it right now, Um, but I'll be back with that. And then um, I'm still trying to resurrect uh, one of my old scripts. I, you know, I have to do what they call a millennial rewrite, which is go in there and, and add cell phones and, and uh-huh. uh, Twitter and, uh, and Facebook or whatever, you know, whatever the current trend is. Uh, and, and it's surprising when you – Mary Claire, we watched Jaws in, um, in class this past week. Did you find uh, the lack of that kind of – like because this was done in 70, what, 75? Yeah, 75. Did you find that bothersome that you that cell phones and and social media and Google and stuff wasn't in there, or did you just kind of go with it? No, I think you have to go for it and appreciate it for what it is. I mean, it makes the stakes even higher, you know, in terms of the help that they they can receive or have, um, mm-hmm. and the way that news spreads within the you know within the area. I think it's it's a classic, you know, for its time period. So no, but I think you know some of the comments were interesting in class about. Um, you know, how it was very straightforward and how, you know, it's kind of like just the shark, you know, and I, I, I people, um, I, you know, like need to view it maybe sometimes through that lens and appreciate it for, you know, what it meant to the time in terms of like that actual time period as well. And, right. uh, and so, um, so no, it didn't bother me. 
Wasn't that Charlene who said it was kind of straightforward and it was just a shark? I can't remember. Yeah, but... I was like, I feel like you'd be pretty terrified to come face to face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, the, the comments are always, I think, humor. But it is, it's interesting to see. A, I mean, maybe we're a bit numb too. I mean, now that uh, you mentioned even with Alder Carbon, like violence and and you know sexuality are like very much present in like some of our current narratives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's maybe interesting that we become a little bit numb to that type of stuff. It's like, yeah, it's a shark. I'm not that worried about yeah, it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the, the for me, the interesting thing was that film was created with state-of-the-art oceanography equipment and, and knowledge of the time. And it does seem a little passe when you see the, like, they put a transmitter on the shark and it's a big old box and stuff. Now it would be a button of some sort or, yeah. you know, it, some, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it didn't bother me either because I thought it was, I, I've seen this movie, I don't know how many times, and I just thought it was, you know, great and exciting. But having said that, you can't turn in a script that's written, you know, 10 years ago because people don't, people will be asking, well, why don't they just use their cell phone, especially if it's current day? Yeah. So that's that's kind of the stuff I've been working on. But um, all right, uh, we I also want to mention we're going to move on to a segment for uh, that MC has prepared for us. But I want to mention by the time this drops, it'll be over. But we have a uh, an event coming up on Wednesday uh, with filmmaker Kristen D'Alessio, uh, who wrote the movie uh, Alex's List with uh, Jennifer Morrison and Patrick Fugit. 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 And um, we do a third, we do a, an a, a upcoming event uh, every third Wednesday. Uh, Victor got us, what's, you want to talk a little bit about our next guest in August, Victor? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I got this, uh, David Morganson. He, um, he uh, was a TV writer. So uh, I know something, we talk a lot about opportunities in television. So I'm trying to get us more guests who are from that world to uh, mm-hmm. open those doors for our, our, um, our base, our, our membership. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he did a show for, uh, I believe it's MTV called Son of the Beach. Uh, he did a whole bunch of other shows, but he'll be coming in and talking about, um, the, you know, how he got into the writer's room, how the writer's room works, and just all that really good, I I think the knowledge that, that a lot of people don't t- talk about when they talk about screenwriting that I think is very valid for, for, you know, writers to think about. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I can't wait to hear both Kristen this Wednesday and... Um, and David in, in a month. And then um, the month after that, I mean, we're either going to do a podcasting seminar using uh, my my skills and tools such as they are, or we're going to do – Rich, also one of the board members, has a friend who's a young, very young filmmaker who we may we may tap for September. I haven't uh, I haven't talked to Rich about it yet, but we he and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, and we haven't followed up. But these things are really great. They're networking events. Um, there's no real agenda. We usually put a speaker in there just to, just to help you guys out to, to come and listen to something that a person you didn't know. Uh, we've also had some other, uh, uh, things we we're, we're potentially going to be doing. Uh, also, so if you want to know what's coming up, you can go to OC film and television or OC film and whatever. I, I always buy the, all the domain names or you can go to OC screenwriters.org or.com or.net. And uh, see what's coming up, or are we have several meetup groups? If you look for, um, I guess what's what would be a keyword? Filmmaking, script writing in Orange County, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, or film and television. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find you'll find us on meetup. So hopefully we'll see you there. Um, always. Don't forget the most important part. It's uh, free, guys. There's yeah. no reason not to go. It's absolutely free. It's absolutely free. That's right. It's at a great coffee shop. 
Uh, you can pick up your supplies there. There's Condom Revolution. There's a head shop. There's a tattoo parlor. There's a vape shop. It's all in this little corner of iniquity in uh, Costa Mesa. So uh, come on down. We, we'd like to see you. So at this point, we're going to uh, switch over to MC. She, she uh, wanted to do some female-driven movies, top 10 female-driven movies, um, which is – that. That's a great a great list. I, I can't wait to hear it. So take it away, MC. Well, especially with Kristen coming on site this week to talk about her film. I mean, she wrote, directed it, and has a strong female lead. And so I thought it would be nice to align that because, you know, sometimes the strong female lead can be difficult to define. You know, the term doesn't really have a single or widely agreed upon set of characteristics. Like when I was looking at Netflix, Hulu, like they have a strong female lead category. And it was pretty broad, you know, in terms mm. of the films, you know, just strong lead like literally empowered or just convincingly written? Can she be conflicted, have a vulnerable side? And so the females on this list of like comedies, thrillers, and heroes journeys really show strength of all kinds. You know, they're compelling, they're tough. And most importantly, they feel like real people. A lot of times the comments that females or women have on, 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 on characters in film is like this, there's no women on earth that would act like this. And so, <laughs> Um, and so these, I mean, these women aren't perfect by any standards, but I think the reason we looked up to them uh, is because they give that, because rather than give up or rely on a man to solve their problems, they choose to pull from their inner strength. And in the end, they come out on top because of mm. the way, uh, because they did things their way. And so, mm. um, so I'll start by giving, I have to do a special mention, um, and then we'll kick off the top 10, but, um, but a special mention to Hidden Figures, which was directed mm. by Melfi, who wrote the script alongside of Alison Schroeder. So written by a female and it really pays like a heartfelt, you know, tribute to remarkable women who broke color and gender barriers out of the spotlight, you know, with no headlines really proclaiming their achievements. And so um, it's a great story, a true story of three black females um, who were instrumental workers at NASA during the space race. And really all three stand up for themselves at great personal risk. Um, and it's really well written. I mean, all three of them go through an arc. And we've talked about this before. I mean, three people, three stories, really difficult to write. And so and it's really well done. And also, what's her name? Just got the uh, Medal of Freedom from. Um, uh, yeah, Kathleen. Well, I'm forgetting. Maybe Turner is her last name. I'm forgetting. Uh, no, Kathleen um, Turner is an actress. But oh, great! Great one. Great one. She. Catherine Johnson. Catherine Johnson. Okay. Yeah, she was played by Tarish Henson. Tarish Henson. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That is a wow. What a great. What a great. This was way before the any movement, any kind of feminist movement. These women really kicked ass. So great, yeah. great choice. Okay. Okay. So top ten. So starting with, we'll start with Erin Brockovich, which was directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Susanna Grant. So another female written movie. Um, and this is another true story. You know, a, a woman who single handedly brought down the Energy Corporation of Pacific Gas and yeah. the electric company. I mean, I mean. Really, and some people will say, like, this film, you know, objectifies its lead with the scantily clad costumes, and I think that's exactly why this film makes the list, you know, because mm -hmm. film or women can wear whatever they want. Yeah, and exactly. And so, um, so I appreciated that movie in that time period, and I think, um, and it was an interesting choice for Roberts. You know, she won the Oscar, and she was known for being kind of the sweetheart, and she mm -hmm. turned that kind of on its, you know, on its head by playing mm -hmm. this really unapologetically sexy performance. Well, wasn't Brockovich, that, isn't that true to her nature? Wasn't that yeah. who she was? Yeah. Exactly. Um, number nine, Legally Blonde. Um, oh. That was written by females too, Karen McCullough Lutz and Kristen Smith based on a book. Um, I mean, I love this film. I think Elle Woods is kind and compassionate, 
compassionate towards even those who look down on her. I mean, really at every turn, she encounters people who want to pigeonhole her into certain stereotypes and time and time again, she refuses. You know, mm -hmm. she really disputes that trope of the dumb blonde and she's proof that women can be a lot of things at once. Um, and I mean, and everybody tries to define her and she really not only furthers her determination to rise above the other's expectations and, uh, and I appreciate it. like there. I don't think there isn't a woman with, um, really, really ascribed to legally blonde and great mm. and like the top ten. Right. Good choice. Eight bridesmaids. <laughs> bridesmaids. Okay. Yeah, um, written by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mullo. Um, I mean, that was the year that Hollywood was kind of like it was around mm. Hollywood women uniting. You know, it was 2011. It was sort of the new feminist revolution, and in a large part, that was due to the success of bridesmaids. I mean, it passed the $100 million mark within the first week, and it really challenged the gender, you know, genre norms, which mm -hmm. um, is hard in writing as well. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, really to date, there had been a female version of, like, the male buddy film. You know, it was kind of billed as, like, the male hangover, and then it was, um, I mean, and, and hopefully it was, like, I mean, it was meant to see more R-rated comedy starring and aimed at, you know, women. So that right. really kind of pushed that further. Right. Seven, nine to five. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, good choice. Yeah, yeah, that was being written by a female as well, Patricia Resnick, directed by Colin Higgins. Um, I mean, and that's, I think that's so timely for right now still, too. I mean, the workplace has long been, like, a cesspool of sexual harassment and weird machismo from different males. And so, um, I mean, it's kind of like a goofy movie in some sense. But, I mean, but really when the women take over the office, they put in place new policies as soon as they take, take charge, you know, and they make things a lot better. And so I think that movie is really about the solidarity of sisterhood, um, and, and it's still a good movie now, you know, and it's really three strong female characters sticking together for the greater good, you know, to overcome those obstacles um, in workplace injustice, which, again, with the Me Too era, is still really, really, I think, timely. Absolutely. Yes. Great, great choice. Go ahead. Million Dollar Baby. Oh, uh, yeah, great one. Yeah. I think, I mean, that really throws every stereotype about a girl, you know, to the wind. You know, Maggie is a character that reminds you, like, no matter what your skill set, experience, or gender, you know, living your dream is possible when you refuse to quit. Um, and she reminds you that in the face of prejudice or discrimination, you still have to step in and fight, you know, because nobody else is going to do it for you. And so, um, you know, it's a familiar story, but the, you know, kind of the quirk of it is that it's a woman, you know, which is funny, but, um, but, um, but, and it's initially, I mean, she's up against a trainer who's like, I don't train girls. And she really has right. to spell that. Um, and it's a really lovely movie that, um, you know, is, is like, I mean, it won best picture. I mean, Hillary Swank. I mean, it was really great film overall. Yeah, I uh, for me a, be a, a that was a good, really terrific movie. I liked Girl Fight better, yeah. and it was be it was before Million Dollar Baby, and it was the same basic storyline. But um, so I recommend Girl Fight also for that. Yeah, okay. that, that, <laughs> that might be on the list. Big. No, it's oh. not. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good one. Um, and so number five, we're rounding out the top five. Mulan. <laughs> oh God, I knew you knew there had to be yeah, something like that. Every song memorized by heart, by the way. Oh my God, that, I love all those. I'll make a man out of you. Um, but when the film was released in 1998, I mean, it was really dramatically different than the likes of Snow White or Sleeping Beauty. You know, in contrast to those mm -hmm. films um, in which the princesses needed to be saved, Mulan did the saving, and so it was really the you know, Disney's attempt to break its own stereotypes. Um, and, and really, it was kind of the catalyst for a more feminist Disney. You know, Mulan made way for other princesses like Merida, or Merida from Brave and Moana. You know, she was bold and brave and interested in finding an adventure above finding a prince. You know, she doesn't end up with anybody at the right. end either. And so, love that. 
Cool. Um, for Thelma yeah. and Louise. That had to be yeah, on yeah. this list. But uh, that was I didn't realize yeah, that was directed by Ridley Scott, but um, the screenplay was written by Callie. Uh, I think her name is Corey. And uh, yeah, yeah Corey. Um, classic mm-hmm. American road trip, um, which, you know, kind of, again, another genre that is uh, challenged by the gender of, you know, the real female version of the male buddy movie. And it's, it's really a movie that shows the power of female friendship and support. Um, you know, they're pitted against the entire world and they really only have each other. And they're not passive in any of their choices, which I think is excellent writing as well. And they're not they're not romantically linked, right? They're they're separate individual just just but like you said, a buddy a buddy team, which is great. Yeah. Three Alien. Another movie directed by Ridley Scott. Um it I mean it's renowned in the feminist film circles, um, for you know, dealing with gender and sexual politics. It was really groundbreaking for Sigourney Weaver's Ellen Ripley to um, not be the damsel, you know, she was the first final girl, a woman still capable of possessing everything we associate with femininity while outsmarting a creature that worked through every other member of that crew. Um, mm-hmm. And I read an article that said, you know, the credit kind of goes to, some of the credit goes to Ridley Scott. You know, in the original script, it was a male hero, but Scott, you know, fought off the execs to cast Weaver. Uh, wow, so, I didn't know I that. I thought that was cool. That is cool. Number two, uh, Wonder Woman. That, oh, yeah. I don't think that's any surprise that, that that's on this list as well. Love that movie. Um, I mean, directed by Patty Jenkins, female. It was the, one of the first truly successful major motion pictures to feature a female superhero. Um, 76 years after her comic book debut, um, she wow. got a movie of her own, and it's a smash hit. Um, and I mean, and it's been part of. The, I mean, it's maybe the studio's reluctance to bring female leads to screen. Their logic being that, like, maybe these type of movies target a certain type of demographic. You know, a teenage boy who wouldn't want to see a woman fight. And I think Wonder Woman really dispels all of that and much, much more. And uh, and I think you know the writing there is so excellent because they prove that a character can exude both you know force and power while also having compassion. You know, she's such mm-hmm. a loving character. You know, absolutely. Um, and so she's powerful and loving and she's an icon. And so I think it's important to recognize her for sure. Great choice. And any guesses as to the last, uh, as a number one? Boy, that, that you've, you've picked up some really, really good one. I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I battled, I originally had Wonder Woman at number one, but then as I was doing a bit more research, a movie kept coming up kind of over and over again. And it is Silence of the Lambs. Oh um, Yeah. But Clarice, you know, is a woman in a man's world. And we all are to, you know, some degree. But Clarice, even more so, you know, due to her FBI training. One of the first scenes shows her hopping into an elevator surrounded by men. Right. Big men. Yeah. Big men who really outsize her. And I think that that's that's such a great scene, just the way that it's written. Nothing is said, but everything is said, you know, in that type of scene. And so they really capture the, you know, sort of discomfort that a woman can feel in these types of situations and she really has to deal with everyday obstacles that come with being the odd woman out in a male-dominated industry and she's really graced with you know self-will and control she's intelligent resourceful and she really you know uses traditional gender expectations to turn them on her head to win right. in these. and so um, so yeah well, she, well the other thing the uh, about her is she's used as bait initially mm-hmm. so she's not even used for her skills as a as a profiler for an FBI agent, she's just used as bait for Lecter and uh, certainly rises above that. It's a really great film and a really great uh, recognition. I I don't know that I would have chosen or even come across it, so that's wonderful. It's one of my favorite movies, but... Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, in in like the feminist, like when I was looking at different feminist articles, I mean, it was really like Clarice is like these, like, because she's so complicated and vulnerable, but like, again, really takes charge of her own future here. And like, mm-hmm. 
he really is somebody that um, is like an icon kind of within the movie industry or movie world or realm. And there are, I mean, there are a lot of other great ones I consider Norma Ray, Steel Magnolias, Out of Africa. I mean, there are a lot, there are a lot. And then all at the same time, there are not very many, you know, in doing my search, it was evident that we don't have enough of these types of movies. And so, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of times gender equality, inequality in film is subtle enough that sometimes it goes unnoticed, but it really isn't an undeniable truth that movies that feature like a strong independent female aren't really in abundance. And hopefully, you know, again, I think with the with Wonder Woman, that really spurred sort of the change um, that these movies can make money and um, and there is an audience for them. So um, to write more of them. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't see how women should be undervalued as superheroes, considering that the only thing that makes a superhero superheroes are superpowers. So uh, Superman would just be a man if he wasn't superpowered. So why not, you know, I, well, we, of course we have Supergirl and we have, we have, uh, now the Wasp is out there. And uh, so, but yeah, great list. Uh, I think uh, if you guys have any issues with this list, you should just keep them to yourself because no. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to hear anything in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> you should, what you should do is send us your list, uh, and you can do that at plotpoints.com, which is the website for the for the podcast, or by uh, dialing in at 919-SCRIPTS, S-C-R-I-P-T-S, which is our uh, way of a voicemail uh, connection for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and or you can find us on iTunes. Um, we have a, a, a small web page on Libsyn that comes as a part of the uh, part of the deal. So. Um, you know, just go ahead and give us your your feedback on this. I'm sure MC would concede, like she already has, that there this is not a comprehensive list. It's just um, you know her her research and stuff. Uh, Victor, do you have any any movies you'd like to add to this? I mean, uh, I, I I agree with uh, MC's list. Like, I mean that that is a solid list. Like, it's hard to argue any one of those bullet points. Right. Uh, definitely. Uh, I I would just like to add with the with Signs of the Lambs. I mean. Uh, yeah, great female character and all that, but also just w- so good establishing the character with like ethos before throwing her into the fray. Right. Um, something I used to do with my screenwriting students at the university is that I would show them a, a kill from a slasher film, mm-hmm. you know, like and it's completely female stereotype and stuff like that. You know, hot blonde taking showers, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and like the kids would exude no empathy whatsoever when she gets killed by you know Jason or, or Leatherface mm-hmm. or whoever. Then, like, I, I give them a little break, talk about something else, and then I play on the scene where where Clarice just come thrown in her face by the serial killer, and okay. all the kids react horrendously. You know? <laughs> that, and that's something that, again, wouldn't happen probably to a male, you know, in that type of situation. That's true. That's yeah, true. Absolutely. Just yeah. encounter also. Right. Okay. Wow. That was great. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, the thing is, as writers, we're responsible for, uh, partially responsible for what Hollywood puts out there. But as as viewers, if you guys want more female driven uh, movies, you have to support those movies, go to the movies and see them because Hollywood only responds to what we're paying for. Uh, it's a business. And if we don't make great movies about women and you don't go and support them, then they're never going to it's never going to change. So. The thing about the thing about trends is they're they're trends. You can't capture them, but sometimes they start a movement, and you can. So hopefully, Wonder Woman has started a movement, as uh, MC was talking about. Um, but I'd also like to talk about the the uh, the the late the latest trend, which seems to be black uh, or African American or men of color, or female women of color. I don't even know if there are any women of color superheroes. Um, the Black Lightning was just recently released uh, to Netflix. We have Luke Cage, 
Uh, Black Panther, of course, was a huge success. So my question, Victor and Mary Claire, is: is this a is this a response to societal trends, or is it just another way to make money uh, in a different environment, like an urban environment? Where you know, is it creating superheroes that are in a in more interesting environment to make money, or is it is it to empower uh, men and women of color? Um, well, I, I think, uh, and we, we've we've ran into the same problem with the previous podcast, when we talk about anything Hollywood does, it's always, it's never just one, it's always both, you know what I mean? So it's, it's both a cultural shift and it's both a mm-hmm. cash grab, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's never just one or the other. Um, so yeah, definitely minorities are more more present than, than ever in, in Hollywood um, and, and the things that are being produced. And something that, that Mark and I have talked about, you know, off the air is that it's, it's so interesting that Hollywood is such a, you know, blue left-wing town, yet it takes us a hundred years to put women and minorities into movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Very true. I think it explores kind of a new narrative, yeah, for the rest of the world. I mean, typically, um, and I don't want to cast like a wide blanket, but, lo- but a lot of times, you know, when we're watching film or television, uh, video games, other adult, you know, entertainment media, the media persistently over-represent like black males or black females in depictions of violence or crime or poverty and really fail to depict um, or underrepresent them as problem solvers or users of technology or, um, you know, people who can put some good back into the world. And so I think, I mean, Black Panther really does, you know, you know, an excellent job of that, you know, in, in working uh, or talking about, you know, heroic men and women. I mean, they really kind of counter the media distortion identified in, you know, some of the things that I'm referencing. You know, they're loving people, creator and users of technologies. They're financially responsible, peace-loving, ethical, you know, and so I think that that was what people, you know, were you know, really ascribing to is that they, it was a, a kind of a new narrative, especially at a time where, like, the president is describing, like, certain nations as shithole countries and, you know, like, other things. I mean, it was kind of a cultural response in terms of that as well. And so um, so I think that it's important that it's a new vision for what blackness can mean and what that maybe stands for. Yeah, for me, I, when I look at a script, I look at the problems inherent in not repeating the beat, not creating uh, the same old, same old. And I think that a, a different culture like Wakanda or Luke Cage's Harlem or Black Lightning. He's a he's a school principal, uh, but they're they're all they're all men of color and they all have specific problems, uh, societal problems based on the the color who they are. Um, in Black Lightning, he's considered a hero of the urban of this urban environment, um, you know, because he was solving urban problems. And of course, Black Panther. The whole arc for him is he goes from Wakanda, which is an isolated country, mm-hmm. uh, to the world. Basically, you need to you need to bring your powers to the world. We need to bring Wakanda to the world, and that was an interesting. Um, but and what's the, what's his what's his villain's name? Um, uh, Killmonger. Killmonger. But Killmonger was a completely opposite. Killmonger was like, look, I've lived in this world, and it mm-hmm. it sucks, and it's horrible for people of color. And so I'm going to prove uh, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. By taking over Wakanda and then using the weaponry to uh, to kill all the, the people who have done this to us. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah, it's a it's an interesting. Again, the the trend thing is a very difficult. You can't you can't chase a trend as a writer because by the time you write something, it's probably already too late. It's already been in the pipeline for quite a while. Uh, but it's uh, hopefully this is a good trend. This is something that will start a movement. Um, it'd be interesting to see how many female characters we get from Wonder Woman. And how many um, black or men of color or female uh, women of color we get from uh, this latest trend with black superheroes. So. Okay, very cool. 
Usually at this point, we would do something called the first 15. We'd break down a script, but a, a hero of mine named Harlan Ellison died. Um, and I wanted to do what we used to do on the podcast, which is a, a uh, focus on him. So uh, this is something I read. I write it ahead of time, and then I basically read it on the podcast. Um, if you guys want to comment on it, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine, too, because I'm not sure either one of you is all that uh, familiar with Ellison. Um, I think you can be forgiven for not knowing who he is. Uh, in the last few years, he's been pretty quiet because of a stroke, which eventually took his life in late June. But if you've never experienced an Ellison story, the good news is his work is all over the multimedia landscape, and his books and short stories are still at the top of everyone's list. He's dead simple to find on Amazon because his work thematically is still as relevant as when it was first exploded on, this, on the world in the late 60s. I remember the first time I read a Harlan Ellison story. The writing was so strong, so brutal, so impactful, that the last line hit me with the force that my adolescent brain couldn't process. I remember, remember sitting there and actually feeling sick to my stomach. I felt as if the world as I knew it had ended, and it had. I'd taken that step from the sci-fi fanboy of rockets, ray guns, and dandelion wine to aliens, humans, and machines who existed for nefarious reasons that had nothing to do with our silly human values. The line, the one that knocked me silly, I have no mouth and I must scream. That was also the title of the short story, first published in 1967. I have no mouth and must scream is an allegory for hell, where people are endlessly tormented by an all-powerful sentient supercomputer. I was late to Ellison, but his work had that amazing impact on me that has never stopped haunting me with his brutal power. Harlan Ellison's career spanned decades in print, film, television, articles, comic books, and just about any medium that he could imprint his particular brand of horror onto, including video games. His work includes 1,700 short stories, novellas, screenplays, comic books, TV shows, essays, and literary criticisms. He's also produced over 100 books. Ellison hated to be called a science fiction writer, preferring to be called a speculative fiction writer instead. Call me a science fiction writer, he proclaimed, and I'll come to your house and nail your pet's head to the coffee table. Mm -hmm. I'll hit you so hard your ancestors will die. This giant in sci-fi circles was born to humble beginnings in Cleveland, Ohio in 1934. A wandering mind which pushed the wandering spirit, Ellison ran from home frequently, taking odd jobs, including on a tuna boat, a crop picker, and as an actor. He was expelled from Ohio State University for hitting a professor who had dismissed and denigrated his work. For the rest of his life, he sent that professor copies of everything he published and newspaper clips of his numerous awards. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> Ellison's hair trigger, temper, and lack of sufferance for those he perceived to be fools was legendary. He even once clashed with Frank Sinatra during a pool game over a pair of boots. He, was also, he also sent dead gophers to various publishers with his lifelong friend, William, Robin Williams. Ellison was hired as a writer at Disney Studios and fired the same day when Roy Disney heard him joking about making a porno film using Disney characters. In Hollywood, where Ellison moved in 62, 1962, he was quickly snapped up by the hungry medium of television. He wrote episodes of the Loretta Young Show, The Flying Nun, Burke's Law, Route 66, The Outer Limits, Star Trek, The Man from Uncle, Cimarron Strip, uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Young Lawyers, Tales from the Dark Side, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, etc., etc., his novella, A Boy and His Dog, was made into a movie starring a very young Don Johnson and is actually being remade today. He also wrote the film The Oscar, starring Stephen Boyd and Elkie Summer, which had a cameo by 
his favorite guy, Frank Sinatra. His Star Trek episode, The City on the Edge of Forever, is considered to be the best in the 79 episodes of the original series, even though Ellison railed against parts of it being rewritten by Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. This acknowledgement of his script, in my opinion, is quite an accomplishment, Consider that the original Star Trek series featured some of the best of the best of television and science fiction writers. In the 80s, Ellison was tapped to be a creative consultant on the new Twilight Zone series in Babylon 5. It was through Jacob Michael Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, that I very nearly met my writing hero, Ellison. It never happened, and I am angry with myself that I didn't push it harder and try to make that happen. Ellison's television and film work was prolific and award-winning, but it was his prose work in which he truly shined. He won 10 Hugo Awards, all in all, during his magnificent career. Hugo Awards are the equivalent of the Academy Award of film, for films. It's for print. Repent Harlequin said the TikTok man won every major science fiction print award available and shows up in most of the top five best of science fiction lists. The story structure is non-linear, starting in the middle, going to the beginning, and then going to the ending without the use of flashbacks. It is one of the most reprinted stories in the English language and was written in six hours at a writer's conference. The story is a slap at societal mores, mores and thematically illuminates the struggle for the human spirit to find its place in a world that demands normalization. A theme that was part of Ellison's DNA, and very popular in the late 60s as youth rebelled against convention. He has four Nebula Awards, from uh, five Bram Stoker Awards from the Horror Writers, two Edgar Awards from the Mystery Writers, two World Fantasy Awards, Jupiter Awards, Saturn Awards, Fantasy Film Awards, and dozens of others. His books, Dangerous Visions and Again Dangerous Visions, were compilations of short stories edited by Ellison, featuring him and other authors that he chose. Each work each book was a work of genius, recognizing genius. I devoured them. They're, they're incredible. Ellison could be pretentious and overbearing and was famously known to be consistently caustic and argumentative. He wrote of himself, my work is four square for chaos. I spend my life personally and my work professionally keeping the soup boiling. Gadfly is what they call you when you're no longer dangerous. I much prefer troublemaker, malcontent, desperado. I see myself as a combination of Zorro and Jiminy Cricket. My stories go out from here and raise hell. From time to time, some denigrator or critic with umbrage will save my work. He only wrote that to shock. I smile and nod. Precisely, I say. Lawsuits for creative infringement were as much a part of Ellison's world as his writing. He sued a lot of people, including James Cameron, for Terminator. He charged that Cameron had ripped off his concept of a killer robot in a script he wrote called Soldier. He settled out of court, and a credit acknowledging his work was added to the film. He took on CBS and the Writers Guild, sued them and won. Also Fantagraphics, a comic book and magazine publisher, and ABC and Paramount. On and on, Ellison's lawsuits protected his prodigious, prodigious workflow as if his life depended on it. And perhaps it did. Ellison did a lot of voice acting work also. Two productions stand out. He's a reoccurring character in Sto Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated as professor of literature, and he appeared in an episode of The Simpsons called Married to the Blob. Ellison never settled, never stood back from a fight, never edited himself or his powerful work. Although this distanced and isolated him many times from many established, it also allowed him to live and die without compromise. Harlan Ellison was a true American original. I doubt we'll see his like again. To paraphrase his own work, he had a mouth and he screamed. Great, 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 great. I mean, that was beautiful what you wrote about him, said about him. Mm -hmm. I was actually really surprised I brought up all the controversy because he was more known for, like, especially re in recent years, he was more known for his controversy than Absolutely. his actual work, you know? 
Well, he he reminds me of a specific person that I know and love um, that I don't think either one of you guys know that well. But, um, I, you know, when, when you're that talented, you can get away with a lot. And he was that talented, and he got away with a lot. But it also cost him, and I think that's part of his life as much as anything. As much as his genius elevated him, his attitude, um, you know, pushed kept him – at odds with a lot of people. And I certainly hear a lot about my attitude, but I don't think I'm as bad as Harlan Ellison. I haven't sued anybody yet. So you don't send gophers to people. <laughs> What's that? You don't send dead gophers to people. No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Well, at this point in the show, we're going to wrap it up with a Q and a, uh, Victor has some questions uh, that were, that were generated by a couple of our discussions and discussions with other people. And um, we're going to do that and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, another really wonderful podcast. Thank you guys. But uh, let's do the Q and a first. Go ahead, Victor. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So um, when, when you're asking about what we're watching, you know, it's, it's the middle of July. So it's way past Memorial day. So I've been watching all these Hollywood blockbuster movies. So right. um, all my questions would be geared towards that and your okay. opinion of those. So, you know, most of the movies in theaters this summer are, in fact, sequels, right? Ant-Man and Wasp is a sequel to Ant-Man. Uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is a sequel to the original Jurassic World, which is, you know, the fourth installment in Jurassic Park, right? Right. Uh, with that being said, should a screenwriter, you know, a, a new one or even an existing working one, um, write more serialized screenplays, screenplays that take place in, you know, as a series? Or do you feel there's still a, a niche market or a market for standalone screenplays? Well, I, I'm not sure how you would write a serialized screenplay. Are you talking about writing something with the specific goal of being franchised? Or exactly. Just it, yeah, or, but even just like keeping it in consideration, you know, leaving maybe the ending open-ended or, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, I, I think you should always do that unless it's impossible. Um, you could, should always think in terms of marketing and what you may or may not. The problem is uh, if you're writing the sequel – uh, you're pretty lucky. A lot of times the sequel goes to somebody else. So they're basically just making money off of you without you make, I, I guess you probably get royalties and stuff, but um, I always write with the idea that this should be something, some way to seek. In fact, I've always thought it was a great crime that body heat was never uh, reprised as a, after he gets out of jail movie or something like that. So even a movie that's a standalone, a one-off like body heat could be franchised. And I think that's always a, consideration and that's not a sequel that's a uh wasn't skyscraper did you see skyscraper anybody no that just opened this weekend right right yeah. but i mean somebody described it as die hard um well, it's so funny it's die hard's 30th anniversary this weekend um, interesting yeah well that's well anyway um i always write with the idea that there's there should be a, a part two but there are a couple scripts i've written that that would never be able to lend them so I, I could resurrect them in the same cheesy way that hollywood always does but they were written to be standalone so for me i just write what i think is the best uh, like but I'm, if i'm writing for sci-fi channel I'm, I'm 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 always thinking in terms of you know sharknado 2 or pterodactyl 2 or whatever you know whatever it is so. right keep in mind i mean a lot of even these tv series that have been resurrected recently too did have kind of final final endings and they they figure out a way to bring them back even like roseanne or will and grace like mm -hmm. uh, roseanne had died in the original he's back you know in the new you know in the new series and so there is always a, a way to work around it even so like so sure. yeah you re you can reboot them which is uh which is what that that seems to be a uh 
a favorite thing these days. Star Trek was a complete reboot. Um, uh, Star Wars is going off in different directions. They're using the universe as a as the uh, as the common common theme, right? So yeah, yeah. good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard question to answer. I don't think that the trends have changed that much over the 50 years or 60 years that they've been showing these things. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I think these movies still exist, but, um, but you know, like I think even to like maybe like Arrival or, um, you know, Annihilation, which was out this year, like these movies mm-hmm. are here. And a lot of them are on TV now as well. You know, there are a lot of shows that are dedicated to these types of, um, you know, this type of audience and it exists, but, um, but yeah, maybe it's, um, you know, not as frequent. No, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think a lot of the stuff is being explored on television as opposed to being, they're not these blockbuster or one-off movies. What the hell was that? There it goes. But, uh, I, the movie, the, the stuff that's really being explored is on television because they they can do like a, a series like, um, well, uh, The Expanse or or Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon is as much about um, the character, the main character, and his regrets and his past life, his original sleeve, as it is about any action or violence or sex. So, so that but you have that long form to be able to explore it. You can always have an episode that that you know is super brutal, super powerful uh sci-fi actiony kind of thing and you can you can have that one episode where where it's a kind of a touchy feeling a touchy feely episode so it's a great question victor i don't i don't know the answer uh exactly Mm -hmm. i think that what we're going to see you know you know yourself you're a you're a very savvy producer you know that when when it comes down to it what sells a film is the concept right and so you have to you have to pay for that concept you have to pay forward into that concept or else you're never going to get your film made. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap it up. We've, uh, it's been a joy to have Mary Claire back on and as always Victor, uh, just terrific uh, commentary. And, um, I appreciate your guys. Uh, you know, the thing about, the thing about writing is people talk about writing as being a solitary occupation that we do and we sit, but, Really, when you scratch a writer, you get a great, a, a lot of great thought because we put a lot of thought into what we do here. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, if you're doing it right, you're thinking about it, you're absorbing it. Um, Mary Claire handles a lot of our um, social media for our OC screenwriters and OC film and television and for the for the podcast, too. And so she's constantly reading these articles. I, I see you put them in there and then you like them. Is that because you want to remember them? <laughs> <laughs> or drive more traffic, but yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm not saying you're liking them just to be. Yeah, I, I think for every time I see you like something, I think oh, she wants to keep track of that in case, in case it comes back up again. But, but I mean, that's what we have to. You have to do. You can't just be, you know, a, a, a writer who just writes. You have to do other things. You have to read books. You have to watch other people's work. You have to read scripts. You have to. You have to think about the the your market and stuff because. You, it's up. It's incumbent upon you to create the worlds that you want to live in. I, I love this phrase: if you want to predict the future, create it yourself. And so that's what we do as writers: we create the we create those futures. And even if they're in our heads, they're still great futures. They're still extrapolations of our lives. So uh, I'm I'm kind of surprised that we can maybe can take this up on a next podcast. I'm kind of surprised we're not seeing more political movies, given the 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 stratification of our society politically with uh with our current administration and with 
all the things that are happening. I'm kind kind of shocked there's not been a hundred movies out. It's hard because I feel like it's a subject, especially at this time, it's so polarizing. Like mm-hmm. really, really, like the markets are very polarized when it comes to it. Like the last movie I can think of was probably The Post. You know that's yeah, that's what I'm gonna talk about. Yeah. yeah. yeah the press and and how important the press is during this time period as just as it was back then but um but i do think it's like the markets are really divided and so it's just i think it's people are you know it's tough to understand what's going to sell in this really political market that's a good point so you're you're saying if you if you put out a pro-trump film or an anti-trump film you're gonna you're gonna isolate half of your audience for sure like everybody lives in extremes now like there's nobody sitting in the middle you know what i mean so it's, I think it's a tough sell. And I think even Hollywood's kind of like, ugh, <laughs> like not wanting to make money. Like, but, um, but there will be those people who put out these films that, that are important, um, you know, whether it's indie filmmakers or whether there does come something bigger budget. But I think everybody's biding their time and seeing how this is going to like shape up. Yeah. Well, thank you for the suggestion for the next class movie, which is going to be The Post, because I, mm-hmm. I, I love that movie. I thought it, I picked it for my, for my Academy Awards, and of course I was wrong, and you were right, but um, it, it's a fantastic movie. So, so maybe next pod, maybe maybe next podcast we can do a little bit. We can do a top ten political film or TV uh, list or something like that. So. All right. Well, anyway, uh, from pop, from uh, Mary Claire Anderson, Van Kempen, and uh, Victor Fan. Uh, my name's Mark Sevy. Uh, this is Plot Points Podcast. We thank you so much for listening and supporting us over the last year and a half. We look forward to doing another 150,000 episodes of these. If you have any questions um, or you comments, you can go to potpoints.com. You can go to ocfilmandtv.com or .org. You can go to OC Screenwriters, or you can call 919-SCRIPTS. That's 919-SCRIPTS. Leave us a question. We're happy to answer it on the, on the, on the air on our Dead Radio podcast. And then uh, I'd also like to mention that I have, I'll put it in the show notes, but I also have um, a uh, two classes for screenwriting, intro to screenwriting, intermediate screenwriting. And I just started a podcasting class uh, this last June, and it's wonderful. I'm having so much fun in it. And uh, they'll be both coming up for the new semesters in September. So I want to promote them now because we're at least a week behind the podcast. So anyway, from all of us to all of you, thank you very much. Be inspired. Do good work.